Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. This is episode number 42 of the Gateworld Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is a show where three nerds talk about the Sci-Fi Channel's long-running franchise, Stargate. That's three nerds because we've got Tammy Farrar coming on in just a few minutes yes. for our main discussion topic, which is no particular topic at all. It's open line night once again. But before we get to that, first we have some Stargate news and a preview of GateWorld's upcoming interview with Joe Flanagan. We got to talk with Joe for just a few minutes of the convention last month. Uh, but we'll go ahead and play you a clip from that. But first, let's do some news. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for May 13th, 2009. Beloved actor and fantastic comedian Dom DeLuise uh, died last week at the age of 75. Dom played Ergo in the Stargate SG-1 episode of that name. Uh, and his his whole family has played such a huge role in the Stargate franchise. Uh, his son Peter DeLuise, of course, is, was a longtime director for Stargate SG-1, Stargate uh, Atlantis, and then he's coming back. He's directed one of one of the early episodes for Stargate Universe. David DeLuise played uh, Pete Shanahan in seasons seven and eight uh, of SG-1, and uh, his other son Michael DeLuise did Stargate. He was uh, in Colonel Wormhole, Danning. Wormhole Extreme, he was Colonel Danning, the TV show version of SG-1's version of Jack O'Neill, Colonel Danning. I literally gasped when I heard that uh, Dom had passed away. I was hoping to interview him in the next few months. I was really, really sorry to hear that he had gone. Yeah, he had, uh, according to reports, he had been hospitalized due to kidney failure and respiratory problems. Peter DeLuise did a, a, a guest post on Joe Malazzi's blog just a few weeks ago and, and had a lot of people asking him how his dad was doing. And they said, you know, dad's doing well, he's he's in good spirits, and just... I, I would point people to that Q&A that Peter did because he had some really, really nice, touching things to say about his dad and that. And that was several weeks before Dom passed away. GateWorld had a chance to catch up with Ben Browder and talk about some of his current projects, particularly Freeze Frame, which is a story being written by Vietnam vet Jonas McCord, uh, telling the tale of two traumatized war veterans trying to end their lives. Browder will play one of those roles. It was a bit more of an esoteric news piece, but it was uh, something that was only in the early, early stages when we met with Ben uh, last December for an interview, and I thought uh, it was good to spend a couple of pages of, of news on it. So that's on the website now. Now, this is the same uh, film that they shot some material for that, that we saw on YouTube, is that right? On YouTube, that's correct. This project is ongoing. It's definitely something that I will want to see, being uh, the son of a vet. Uh, mm. I will want to watch this with my father. Another bit of an esoteric piece this week is a little thing I wrote asking if Smallville is going to beat SG-1's longevity record. The show was recently renewed for its ninth season. As we all know, SG-1 went 10 seasons and made 214 hours of television. Uh, but Smallville has been sticking with that 22 episodes per season number, with the exception of last year. They were cut short by the writer's strike. They will do 22 for season 9. If they get renewed a year from now for another 22, they're going to tie SG-1 in the number of seasons, and they're going to surpass us in the number of episodes with 218. That record had to go sooner or later. I just assumed it would be later rather than sooner. Yeah, I thought it would stand for a bit longer. And uh, you never know. This next year could be the last. It, it apparently all depends on Tom Welling, who plays Clark, and, and if he's going to sign for another year. A lot of people thought he wouldn't for this year. We'll see. I think it's a good show. I like Smallville a lot. Friday and Saturday were the big days for the Leo Awards, which chronicle British Columbia's Film and television, Stargate Atlantis was named Best TV Series. It won nine awards for its fifth season. Uh, Brad Wright and Robert Cooper were named winners of the Lifetime Achievement Award for their work in science fiction and television. Stargate Continuum won three prizes in the feature film category, and uh, Sanctuary also took home a slew of prizes as well. Stargate Continuum got three awards. They won screenwriting, sound, and Lead performance for Michael Shanks. Congratulations, Michael. And Atlantis's nine awards include, in addition to Best Program, they got uh, Directing, Screenwriting, Cinematography, Picture Editing, 
overall sound, sound editing, costume design, and visual effects. I know we we buzz through those categories like we're trying to get to the end of the list, but there are a lot of hardworking people behind that uh, who work up, up in Vancouver and elsewhere uh, who deserve all the kudos that they get from this award. Congratulations. Gateworld Features. Our interview with Michael Shanks is now up on the website. Michael talked with us for about 20 minutes about everything from Stargate Atlantis, the two-parter, to Stargate Continuum. So that is currently available on the website. But coming in the next few days is a brand new interview with actor Joe Flanagan, Colonel John Shepard on Stargate Atlantis. It's been a while since we've done one with Joe, and uh, we're always happy to see him, and we're glad to have him back on the homepage. Yeah, we got to sit down, as I said, with Joe for just a few minutes in between his convention appearances. He's obviously big in demand when he goes to the conventions. So I think this was between one of his photo op sessions. We got him for just about five minutes and hopefully talked about some good stuff. It's always great to to talk to him and and to actually get him on camera uh, for a video interview this time. But uh, to all you Joe fans, we apologize that we didn't get to ask all our questions. I had like ten questions, and I think I asked about two of them. I'll get right to the meat and potatoes. Where were you when you first heard the cancellation news, and, and how did it hit you? The producer came to my trailer. Okay. Kind of like... Right when I was trying to eat the kind of pork and applesauce, whatever it is they were eating that day, which was already hard enough to eat, and then they told me we were canceled, and I was like, mm. um, I was, yeah, it was a relatively banal, unceremonious mm-hmm. moment, um, but I'm glad they told me, well, I'm glad they told me they could have waited, I think. There might have been a debate there for a while about telling us How do you after break the, the show was canceled, after the show was finished, versus why right. the show was there. And I'm glad we were told beforehand. For one, it's the respectful thing to do. Yeah. But two, it allowed us to kind of sew up the the relationships with the cast and crew when we knew we weren't going to come back. So this week, Gateworld is launching a brand new series of updates. We're finally bringing screenshots from Stargate DVD extra features to the Gateworld Gallery. I have started uh, going back and uh, kicking all of these out. It's going to take several months to to get all of these DVD special features screenshot galleries up, mm-hmm. but uh, we're going to kind of take it slow. And frankly, for me, I'm I'm glad to have images of Jim Renard and and John Smith up on the site mm-hmm. now in case I need an image of one of them. It's one of the reasons that I'm glad that I'm doing it is because I know where these pictures are. So, and, and we do use them in all kinds of work on the website. So, but that's going to be available to you too. Yeah, that's what I'm going to be excited about with these galleries is is I think it's going to be a huge place for people to see behind the scenes stuff. A lot uh, of behind the scenes typically, footage. Yeah, you you get these DVDs and you watch these special features maybe once, maybe if you you go back and, and watch an episode later, and, and it happens to be sitting there on the same disc. You might watch it again. Behind-the-scenes stuff with all these, these crew people and, and directors and, uh, you know, director of photography uh, like Pete West that, that would just don't get up front and center. You mm-hmm. can see a lot of that. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Every Monday we're going we're gonna to feature uh, one of the DVD bonus features. So that'll be a, a new regular column on Mondays. And then on Wednesdays, you'll find the podcast. And on Fridays, we've launched a new column this last week uh, called the Friday Five. It'll be a top five countdown list, starting out this last week with uh, the five weapons that we want. And this is mine. I want a Zatnikatel. Friday Five will be a top five list every Friday. Things like uh, favorite episodes for a certain character or, or you know, weapons and tech and ships and... Uh, whatever else we can think of, whatever else you can help us think of. If you have any ideas for a countdown, then email. We are getting trackbacks running, so if you have a blog and you want to post your top five for whatever that week's topic is, uh, send a trackback ping to to GateWorld and get listed. The main discussion. Once again, it's open line night, and David and I are very proud to welcome back to the show Miss Tammy Farrar. Hey. It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to be here with you, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. You are Again. very... <laughs> so we usually bring you on and talk about like one particular thing, and we thought, how much crazy fun would it be to have you on for open line night when we have crazy no fun. particular topic? And just let you run wild. That's because you guys are just tired and you want me to carry the show. Yes, please. Maybe you should host this discussion tonight. Oh, no, no. 
That's not fair. <laughs> it's easy. You just talk a lot and pretend that you know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. No problem there. We have a lot to talk about tonight for sure. We have lots of voicemail. So, who gets to pick the first topic? The Tammy. guest? You're going to let me? Oh, okay. Well, you know what? What are you going to talk could... about, Tammy? Okay, before you jump into the forum thread and start poking around, what do you want to talk about? A few people, you know, hit on things that I think are important. Just uh, the characters themselves and the relationships between the characters. And, you know, you guys, I think, uh, come at things from a very esoteric angle. And, Us? you know, yes, you see things more as the whole team, the friendships, uh, doing all that. And on this fine, fine day, you know, a lot of people, you know, like me, like a little bit of romance in their, their sci-fi and some people, you know, they're like, gag me with a spoon. Don't put that in my, you know, I don't want to see it. I don't want to, I don't even want to know it's there. Well, mm-hmm. there's a difference between a little bit of romance and a lot of romance, where it's basically your center of attention. You know, you find a sci-fi show and you watch the episodes and, and before long, it's more or less just about, you know, when are these two going to hook up or when's that next kiss? I can't wait. That happens with some fans. Well, I think so. I'm going to give... Uh, a shout there to Cole Aga because she's the one that brought up Ship here as I look through. It depends. You know, I think for the most part, if you are an active shipper and, you know, you get to know the various people, you know, that ship, you'll find out that the majority really don't want it to be in the forefront. They don't want it to be the uh, end-all, be-all of the show. They like it in the background. They like mm-hmm. it to stay in the background. But they like there to be a nod to it every now and then mm-hmm. for it to just be there because it's natural. You know, Stargate has always made a point of saying is that this could be happening now. Um, you know, granted, there's always artistic license. There's always, you know, a nod to the absurd. There's always a nod to the real serious um, and finding a way to tell that story. But yet these people are supposed to be someone that, you know, you could very well meet on the street. And, you know, how many people do you know that don't have somewhere in their heart of hearts a desire to want to have a relationship of some sort with someone and mm-hmm. and mean, mean something to someone? That's, you know, part of that. And I think the other aspect is that in order to hook a fan or hook a number of fans, if you want me to be impulsive and buy things that I don't need, you need to hook me emotionally. It's true. It's true. You know, I can get all excited and everything else about, you know, buying the enterprise models and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if you want me to be buying all the extra things that go along with the show, then you need to hook me emotionally. And if you don't hook me emotionally, then I'm just going to turn your show on and turn your show off mm-hmm. every week. And there's nothing really wrong with that. I mean, no, no. Know, there, there are certainly viewers out there who just enjoy the show an hour a week for mm-hmm. 20 weeks a year and that's it you know yeah, more power to them too then there are the gate worlders who are awesome I'll make sure everybody yeah. knows that they're awesome there are folks out there who just watch sg1 or atlantis or whatever it is because of that one particular relationship though isn't there there are the mm-hmm. the sam and jack shippers or the the john and elizabeth the, shippers who right. specifically sit down every single week with their radar up looking for that moment because it makes the show for them mm. and you know and i think that's something that you have to respect that um you know for for me personally i think that you know one of my big ones was always sam and jack i thought they did a a, a great service to that relationship throughout the show and then they did a great disservice to it really what yeah. was what was the disservice Probably where the producers, you know, were very aware of how large the um, the fandom was for that couple. It was um, the number one piece of uh, mail that they would get in every week. And we had some of the we had some of the show the powers that be were actually on the forum. They would come into the threads and post. They would tantalize. They would you know say different things, and um, it would try you know keep people. And, you know, watching, keep people, you know, being excited about, oh, okay, something's coming up, you know, this this power that be came in. So I think they did Which the is fans. their job, by the way. 
Yes, it is. It is. Um, but it was it was a um, it was misdirection. It was disingenuous, and I think that they um, alienated a good number of the fan base by doing that. At um, what point because, specifically? You're talking about they did a they did a disservice to it. When, when are you? At what point um, was the jump the shark? The jump the shark was um, it was a combination for me as a salmon jack shipper being in the threads on Gateworld, having the powers that be come in right prior to the Pete Shanahan storyline. And Got literally it. post things and, oh, there's big things coming up for the, you know, for, for you guys. Don't worry. You know, we're not going to, you know, little, you know, and it was a lot of tidbitty things um, making it a point to keep us involved and feeling like, oh, okay, you're not forgetting that this is a, back, a background thing. Mm-hmm. No one ever felt like it was anything more. And then when they brought in the Pete Shanahan character, you know, it was kind of, you're like, whoa, okay, the tension, it's there. Um, a good number of people were disgusted, you know, and you go back and forth with that. Um, I think most of your level-headed people, you know, after they got done calling Pete every name in the book, <laughs> poor Pete went through the ring. What were the names? What were the names that Pete got called? Stalker oh, Pete. Stalker Pete. Stalker Pete, Spud Boy. Um, Spud, how many guys would, you know, or I guess in your case, how many girls would you keep dating that went and did a, abuse their position and did a mm-hmm. background did check? Did a background on, check. And then followed you. With the binoculars in the car, yes. right? What episode was that? Chimera? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's a few things where you kind of went, okay. And then, um, you know, when uh, when there was a question of whether or not you would tell her anything, she became immediately offensive and made it out to be it was your fault and you were the problem and you wouldn't do anything right after, you know, right at the moment you've just been intimate. You know, a lot of females, um, <laughs> we already go through in society um, having a lot of um, negative connotations put on us. You know, we're, we're too heavy. Mm. Um, you know, we don't... You know, we have to wear this deodorant, we have to use this shampoo, we have to wear, you know, look like this and do this. And, you know, not only all that, we have to, you know, bring home the bacon and fry it up in the pan. All of that, and here we all really look to Sam Carter. You know, she's a strong woman, and Uh it's a strong role. And to have it degraded down to that point, that was hard on a lot of of fans. You know, what bugged me most about the, the Pete Shanahan relationship was, not that a whole lot bugged me, I liked the fact that we mm-hmm. got to see Sam's personal life in that respect, mm-hmm. and she got to have a boyfriend for a while that didn't die, um, <laughs> but that, thank God she did not get married to. But what bugged me about it was the fact that he knew, didn't he, he knew that she was in a top secret program and could not because of the nature of her job and her commitment to the to the Air Force, could not talk to him about what she did. And he wanted to know anyway. Mm-hmm. And he and he made it a point to put her in a bad position. How many of us can, you know, really be excited about a guy like that? If nothing else, I enjoyed the character for the fact that he was an interesting diversion for a year and a half. I liked David Deloise as a person and uh, as an actor, and I thought he did a fantastic job with what he was given. I think in the most part, you know, the the people that really just looked at it as for the show, no one had any issue with David himself. You know, he's an actor, you know, he does his job. So I don't think anyone other than, you know, the cons, a poor guy, <laughs> I think he got, you know, looked booed a couple of times. But, you know, it, it, made a, it made a popular character, a strong female role, do some things that... Um, Made us take, you know, as females, we took a step back. You know, she did some things in different episodes that can't say that we were too in, enthralled with. You know, it made the female fans kind of go, ooh. But as shippers overall, you know, take look at um, Atlantis. I don't think that um, the powers that be ever really were actively riding the ship in SG-1 until the end, you know, where they did try to do the personal life with Sam and all that. But the, over in Atlantis... Um, they were actively trying to figure out how to do it. Really? And, you know, yeah, and at the same they, time, keep everyone at arm's length? I think in a I sense, yeah. I didn't see yeah. anyone getting buddy-buddy ever until, okay. like, May. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know if I ever saw that, any sort of overt ship attempts. Well, and see, now they said in interviews, and then you had the stars saying it in interviews, as well as the PTB saying different things about, well, you know, we thought about John and Taylor, where they thought about, you know, maybe trying some direction that way. Hmm. Uh, 
have things. And that came from the actors themselves that saying this was a way they thought about going and the PTB in various interviews. Please don't ask me to quote any of it. Then the same thing, though, where you're hearing from the actors, you know, that they enjoyed working with this other person. So that's, you know, that's interpreted in different ways. I think we're going to put this on the schedule and we should do a main discussion on relationships in Stargate. And that would be a good one for Tammy to come back for, I think. I think it's an interesting topic and it goes all the way from Sam and Jack and all the controversies surrounding Divide and Conquer back in season four all the way up to McKay and Keller in the present day. It's it's a, yeah. it's a significant issue and I think with the way that Stargate Universe is going to be more character focused and relationship focused, it's only going to become more central for the franchise. I think so. So, yeah, let's talk about that in an upcoming podcast. Hey, guys, this is Chad St. Paul. I was just wondering if you guys could do a discussion on the differences between Nequadria and Naquida and uh, maybe some other different uses. Uh, (laughs) Does one make lemonade and the other one limeade? I don't get that. Uh, It's basically to tell you how much I know about these two things. (laughs) Nequadria is far more powerful. Is that because it's refined? It's a derivative of Naquita, but it's much more powerful. Was Naquadria, that's what um, Jonas and the folks on his planet, they had um, quite a supply of that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Naquita is more what um, they were, they, that's the, what the raw material that they would mine. Much more common in the galaxy, Naquita. Uh, right. Goa'uld somehow figured out how to transform Naquita into Naquadria on, his, uh, on, on Kelowna. What were some of the uses? Blowing yourself up. Um, that's what <laughs> happened to him. Well, when we when we first went to Kelowna in Meridian in Season 5, we saw that they were using it to build a bomb. Right. Just because of its basic raw explosive power. But then in Season 6, when Jonas joined the team and brought a, basically stole a stash of Nequadria and brought it to Earth, uh, it was the Nequadria that originally allowed us hyperspace travel. Oh, really? Okay. But did it More ever really work? Not really. Okay. They must have, this was, yeah, this was one of the things that I think was a problem that was eventually fixed, but never necessarily explained on screen. Sam originally assumed that Nequadria was the answer for how the Goa'uld could use hyperspace travel, because Nequita wasn't powerful enough. Mm. But then Anubis went after it himself, because he had never seen anything like it, so we never really figured out what it was that they were using to create hyperspace travel. And for some reason, we know we could never get it really to work, at least not to work very efficiently for we our ships. We couldn't stabilize it. Yeah, but at some point, suddenly our ship started working just fine. I and think I the think Asgard ever... gave us hyperdrive technology. Was it the Asgard technology? Mm-hmm. At some point, yeah. Hi, my name's Chris from Fort Lauderdale. There was a couple of episodes where Teal'c had uh, one of the Death Gliders' uh, weapons from the wing. He took the blaster off the wing and used that as sort of like a big, heavy gun. That, to me, felt Tilkish. It felt like uh, that gun was made for him. And it kind of bothered me that he never carried it anymore. He carried it for like one or two episodes, and he seemed like he just didn't want to carry it. So I was wondering your thoughts on that. Chris, he just got tired of carrying it. That thing was heavy. Name the episode. Name the episode where he pulls <laughs> the, the Death Glider cannon off the Death Glider and starts carrying it around. It was um, the fifth man. And we later saw it again in 48 hours. Fifth Man, that's right. Early Close season, season five. five. Mm-hmm. Very powerful device. Yeah, I've got to think it's just because that thing's so dang heavy. It's If you know that you're going to need the heavy artillery, it's nice to have slung over your shoulder. But if you're just going exploring on a planet, you don't want to heft that thing around on your hike. He used that cannon to take out Tanith. Mm-hmm. Chris might have actually said, there is no way that I'm going to continue carrying this thing. That's mm. true, but he looked good with it, because you expect the big guy to have the big gun. This is an interesting tech question, David. Maybe you can answer this, because I'm kind of curious myself. Ramses818 says, do we ever get an indication as to how the supergate works? We know that it draws power either from a ZPM or from a black hole, but how exactly is it dialed? Is there a DHD on board the Earth's ships when they're dialing it? They never explain that. It's it's the same thing like... Um... In the Stargate movie, when uh, they go home at the very end, how did they turn it on? They don't, they don't show that. There aren't any chevrons on the Supergate. I assume it has some kind of, of computer programming, and you can hack its code and, and turn mm-hmm. it on. We know it does have some sort of interface that Sam was tinkering with in Camelot. 
at the end of season nine. So maybe we sent somebody out in a spacesuit to figure out how it works. They didn't take a great deal of time with it. They just wanted to go through to the Ori galaxy and Ark of Truth. I think sometimes that was frustrating when it was something big like that, that we didn't get a better explanation. Um, you know, sometimes the exposition on some of the more, you know, other minutiae was kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. And then things like that, you really wanted to have all that exposition and you didn't get it. Maybe there was only two Ori supergates in the universe. I mean, you provide the thing with enough power and it automatically dials its sister. Ah. That's true. Yeah, true. That works for me. That works for me, too. Hey, guys, this is James in Nevada. I am calling in with a couple of subjects for your next open line night, and I've got uh, three different ones for you. Uh, the first one I want to know about is what genre TV that's currently on the air can you guys not live without? What is it that you don't miss every week? You've got to see it. A current genre show that you cannot live without. My first thought was, you know, a show I don't miss is NCIS. I don't miss that. Are there any non-Stargate shows in the sci-fi fantasy genre that you absolutely won't miss? Eureka. Eureka, really? Yeah, once I know that's back on, I watch it faithfully. I Netflixed most of season one of Eureka, and just, I have a hard time getting into it. Oh, see, and I think it's hilarious. I will absolutely never, ever miss Lost. I'm a complete and total Lost addict. It is crack on Wednesday nights. <laughs> um, the other show from the last year that I think I've liked the most, I've actually missed it a lot, and just because of scheduling and timing and had to watch it mostly on Hulu, is Sarah Connor Chronicles. Well, by the second season, about the third episode, I was like, eh, I quit watching. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I can't tell you why. David, how about you? What's your non-Stargate guilty pleasure? Uh, I don't watch television as it airs. I don't even have satellite, don't have cable, nothing like that. When I watch specific shows, I either download them or mainly buy them on DVD. Lost mm -hmm. is um, at the top of my pile right now in terms of what I watch. I have not seen season five yet. I'm looking forward to watching it. I saw the uh, the first season of uh, of Heroes. Um, the ending completely turned me off, and I have not. Uh, I've bought season two, but it's been sitting on my shelf for months. I have not watched it. Sarah Connor Chronicles looks very very interesting. I just picked up season one. I'm waiting to move over to my other apartment uh, with a bigger television set before I put that one in so I can really enjoy it to its full extent. And NPR, National Public Radio. I know that's not television, <laughs> but I, I turned that on uh, several times a day mm -hmm. and listened to that. I've become very religious in terms, of my, in terms of my news consumption, and I'm thankful for that because I think, uh, I think that if, if you're not staying informed as to the current news, there's not much to you. It's, it's very important. I, lo I love NPR. That's our default radio station in the car. I listen to Glenn Beck. Uh, I love Glenn Beck. I think he's very animated, but uh, I, I take it for what it is, and I enjoy it. And uh, I think he's a well, very smart man. Yeah. I think he's very smart, and he, he throws a lot of comedy into his. I get most of my news from Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert. My next one is on seasons 9 and 10 of SG-1, which I'm sure you'll talk about when you get into that part in your history but I was just curious how you felt about those seasons. Did you feel that at that point it became a whole new show? Did you think it was still as good as the first eight seasons? What were your initial thoughts on Claudia Black and Ben Browder coming on to SG-1? And right along with that, were you actually fans of Farscape when it was on? So were you excited to see them because you were already familiar with them and enjoyed their show or were you turned off because you weren't fans of that show we'll definitely talk about this a lot once we get to those season nine and ten podcasts in our stargate history series um i'm kind of of two minds on the whole the whole season nine and ten it was different it was a different show frankly um people who were expecting it to be the same i mean they lost i really wish they had renamed the series stargate command I love Farscape. I was a huge Farscape fan. I watched it from day one on Sci-Fi. And I was one of those guys who was shaking his fists to the sky when they backed out of season five and didn't do season five of Farscape. Uh, it's, it's one of my all-time favorite science fiction series, and I love Ben and Claudia and what they contributed mm -hmm. to that show. So I was really excited when they brought them over to Stargate. And I don't know what it was, if it was just that, that uh, mysterious 
chemistry that you know capturing lightning in a bottle but uh, I thought their characters contributed a lot but uh, I don't know the magic of SG-1 was was not quite there it was a little bit more by the numbers in seasons 9 and 10 and I don't blame that on, on Claudia or Ben in the least I think they're fantastic actors, but um, seasons nine and ten overall, it seems like it was a little bit more by the numbers. I'll agree with you on that. Now, I, and I'm huge, huge Farscape fan as well. Mm-hmm. And not the opposite of you, though. I found Farscape after it was over, so oh yeah, I didn't I didn't have to shake my fist anywhere. The first thing I saw was Peacekeeper Wars, and then I had to go get seasons one through four because oh, wow. I was like, oh, "What is this? How did I miss it?" And I have to, you know, honestly say that I probably watched. Farscape through its entirety more often than I've watched Stargate. Just because it's shorter, I don't know, but mm-hmm. I, I, you know, but also again the romance and you know you have uh, Aaron and John have the whole story throughout the whole. Well, there it there it is. If you're a shipper, I think the the producers of that show have called it basically at its heart, it's a love story mm-hmm. between John and Aaron. To me, the whole show was just fantastic, and you know, like you said, Ben and Claudia are phenomenal actors in that. They brought you know just something to that you know that just you just don't see when they came to uh sg1 i was excited as everyone else was that you know love ben and claudia but i have to agree that i think that nine and ten were more by the numbers i was kind of disappointed that um it seemed like they had a good handle on claudia uh, on Vala, on that character, uh-huh. and it seemed like the writers had fun writing that character. Where um, Mitchell, they didn't know what to do with him. I was sold on Cameron Mitchell and felt like I really started to get to know him in Continuum. Yes, when he went back to Earth in the altered timeline and uh, was by himself, without his job, without his friends, you know, going back to his old roots uh, in a world where he was never born. Uh, that's where I got to know Cameron Mitchell for the first time, I think. I had uh, never seen Farscape before Claudia Black's appearance in Prometheus Unbound. And the only time that I ever watched the show was to bone up on uh, my interview with Ben before I met him for the first time. Because I thought it would be unwise to do mm-hmm. that without him. Yeah, I gave you a list of Farscape episodes, didn't I? I watched every single one of them. It was, it was a nice spackling of uh, of Farscape, but to this day, I am not convinced that it is a show that I would have interest in watching. It's because you're too serious. There is a lot of television out there, and just there because is. it's on sci-fi and because it had a character from SG-1 doesn't mean that necessarily it's one for me to watch. Are you saying that you don't adore Mansquito? And Frankenfish and um, <laughs> all those other wonderful ones, Frank right? Frankenfish always makes me think of Frankenberry. <laughs> it seems like Frankenfish ought to be delicious. Yeah, this is Mark from Columbus, a.k.a. Gate Mark from the Gate World Forums. I'm calling regarding a subject I've wanted to hear discussed on Open Line Night for some time now. And that'd be the good, the bad, and the ugly of Stargate's red-headed stepchild in the franchise, Stargate Infinity. Now, first, my opinion, the good. While I myself have been a fan ever since the movie came out in theaters, I now watch everything Stargate-related with my 12-year-old son, Brody. And we started this tradition way back when he was much younger with Infinity. And of course, I went on to introduce him to Stargate SG-1. We watched Atlantis, and we will be watching Universe this fall. In fact, this August, we're both going to Chicago for our very first Stargate convention. Stargate's kind of become a father-son tradition that began with Infinity. And now the bad and the ugly. Well, where do I begin? Do I think the show is canon? Uh, Not by a long shot. Its gate mechanics are pretty much all over the place, and Don't even get me started on the dangers of driving an ATV at top speed through a gate to an unknown location. But it still holds a special place in my heart. Now let the debate begin. I love, Mark, what you have to say about your father-son relationship and the way that Stargate works in that. I've got a three-year-old myself, and I love the idea of introducing my son to Stargate. But, you know, there's a lot in Stargate, even in SG-1, that is dark and violent and you don't want to expose a little kid to but we're not going to crucify you if you choose to no no um you know it all depends on age he's of the age of your child my son is three so brody's um, 12 brody's 12 so yeah infinity is is uh, seems like a good place to start david what did you think of infinity i've watched several episodes of infinity it is definitely a kid's show and it is definitely um diluted by children's television standards by requiring that each episode be pegged with a moral 
And uh, you know, when I was young, when I was when I was watching cartoons, they were much less tight and could do almost anything that they wanted as long as you know it keep it clean. Th- those kinds of standards. Now everything uh-huh. has to have a moral and it must have a point, and it's too much work. The FCC <laughs> requires that broadcasters have X number of or X amount of their airtime is dedicated to some form of educational programming. So Fox basically took their Saturday mornings in 2002 when Infinity premiered and handed it over to a third party. Um, Four Hits was was the name of the company, and they made four or five or six different animated shows, one of which was Infinity. And so Infinity was the one that they picked that was going to meet this FCC requirement. So that's why you've got kind of a little mini moral lesson at the end of every one. I don't know if that's still the case with FCC regs, but it was seven years ago when the show premiered. It was just a little too on the nose from week to week. The animation, uh, it was very clearly outsourced a lot of a lot of the illustrations. The Stargate itself, the icon of the show, was never consistent from shot to shot. In terms of the, the chevrons and the number of symbols? and In terms of the entire look. I mean, sometimes it looked like it was paper thin, and other times it looked like a like a like an 18-wheeler tire. I think of television shows like Batman the Animated Series, which was on in the mid-90s, and how well done it was. It was just so well done. It looked like a very crisp, dark comic book. And then we get something like Stargate Infinity, which simply looks like it is not being taken seriously in terms of what's being put into it. And it's really disappointing because I think Stargate deserves better. But who's it being made for? Batman Batman the Animated Series was compatible with both children and adults. I, as an adult, still enjoy it to this day. That Batman the Animated Series was set at 4.30 in the afternoon after school. So school-age children were watching it. Okay, so we're talking, you know, like a two-and-a-half-year-old. Could could she watch Stargate Infinity and not be scared? No, you put on Blue's Clues. No, she, no. There were, there were. That's too young. Dinosaurs and and all sorts of stuff like that. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I agree that Infinity is, I think it was targeted at at approximately the same age range as as some of those after-school shows like Batman. And Superman, I've, the animated series. I've that's why I compared it directly to it. Yeah, it doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up in the least. Um, and that's kind of it's kind of not fair because I think Batman, the animated series, is pretty widely regarded as one of the best animated shows of all time. And I think um, they threw a lot of money at them to do that. Yeah, yeah. And Stargate Infinity doesn't look like it had a lot of money thrown at it. It looks like something that MGM licensed to Dick Entertainment... And, and, you know, they, they outsourced it, and, and it is what it is. It, it was meeting their FCC requirement. It was, at, it was 30 minutes of their block, and it ran for a few months, and then they yanked it. Yeah, see, the, by default, I don't care for an idea. Well, this is the show that you know, we're going to plug to fill a political issue. This is the show that we're going to pick to do that. Yeah, nah. yeah I was very optimistic about hoping that it could be a good show because there are a lot of good... Uh, cartoons that I have enjoyed. I still, I grew up with GI Joe. I still love GI Joe, the original. But you know, it just it didn't hold up. I think I watched about five episodes, and I've got the DVD on my shelf unopened right now. But it was not enough to continue to convince me to get up at seven o'clock in the morning. That kind of bums me out because you know you want to be able to introduce your kids to the shows, and like Darren was saying, that the actual show has got a little too much violence, a little too much of some different things that for the younger, you know, I think below 12, 13 really shouldn't be seeing. But if Stargate Infinity was a well-made animation and all that, that would be a great way to introduce your kids to Stargate. You can use Stargate Infinity to introduce your your children to the concept of gate travel, but it wasn't designed for that. I'm not sure what Stargate Infinity was designed for, except (laughs) we have a very popular intellectual property, so let's frame it in, in a children's uh, setting and it wasn't given much thought. But anyone who did enjoy it, we have 7,500 screen caps from Stargate Infinity sitting in the Gate World Gallery right now. Mm-hmm. Take Check a look, so out. you can actually take a look at it. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and jump on Mac Jackson because um, he said he's asked this question once before, and it has to, it's kind of fun. Who would you like to see Stargate crossover with? And he had said he'd love to see you know Stargate meet up with CSI Vegas or the Highlander or Dead Zone or Quantum Leap or of course MacGyver. Who would you guys like to see Stargate interact with? The Man Show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. That would be funny. South Park. Oh, jeez. 
There was an episode of South Park where Stargate did crossover in in terms of the gate. They did, yeah. The mm. gate Kurt was Russell. in the Kurt Russell gate was in uh, Imagination Land. I think it would be fun to have seen you know like a crossover with SG One and Quantum Leap. Now, I mean, wouldn't that that would be kind of fun to have Sam jump in to the to you Sam. know the SGC from Quantum Leap? That that would have been interesting. Carter goes to. Jack, and, uh, sir, I, I heard Daniel talking to someone named Al who wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, and I think that would Code be... Code 9. Foothold, <laughs> foothold. Uh, Sam Carter Rules asks, uh, I like reading fanfic because it sometimes gives us a darker look. By darker, I mean things they can't put on a family show. And characters we all know so well. Do you read fanfic? And if so, what sort and why do you like it? Darren, David. I think, Tammy, you're probably going to have the most to say about this because I know you're a fanfic reader. I have enjoyed the fanfic that I've looked at because it it seems like it's a whole world unto itself or even a series of worlds unto itself. Um, But I don't really have time to spend on it. Uh, I love the concept of fanfic and I love what it represents. The fact that you can take... Uh, a story, like I always think of, of one of my favorite episodes, Jolinar's Memories, mm-hmm. and all that wrestling at the beginning of the episode that Sam is doing as she's she's having Jolinar's Memories dragged out by the Tok'ra memory recall device, um, and that, that dark, you know, torture stuff. Uh, I know there's a lot of fanfic that's been written around those episodes. Martouf and his relationship with Jolinar and his relationship with Sam, that's the sort of thing that fanfic can explore a lot more. And of course it's not canon, uh, it's just kind of fun, but it's, you know, they can only fit so much storytelling on the screen, so it's cool, I think, when fans can take little elements like that and say, well, let's spend a little bit of time going into Sam's head and learning a little bit more about her as a person and how she was reacting to all this. I think fanfic is interesting as long as the characters are in character. I personally don't take any time reading it. One of the websites that I love to go to for for news updates is Stargate SG-1 Solutions. But every time I go there, I have to be very careful because I am a click away from pornography. They have a great deal of uh, NC-17 fan fiction. And it's all text and stories and things like that, which is fine. It's just not my cup of tea. Fan fiction is just a huge subsection of fandom. Uh, It gives people a great deal of flexibility in terms of uh, the characters and lets them do all sorts of things with the characters that uh, you could never see on television, but it's just a big, big time waster for me, for someone who's working on a Stargate website trying to get the next piece out. The way different people choose to spend their fandom uh, in different ways, and you and I do website stuff, we do news stories and interviews but I, I think fanfic is, is a fantastic world in which to play. Well, now, I read a book a day, and it doesn't matter to me what it is. I will read pretty much a book a day because I love to read. And um, You read 360 pages a day? Yes. I read a book a day. Wow. I wow, see, love That would take up reading. a lot of my time. I wish I could I, do that. I read very fast. It's just something that's important to me. I love to read. And uh, so fanfic kind of opened up a whole new world to me. Now, is it just fiction that you read that, that quickly? Do yes. you read nonfic that quickly? Um, no, nonfiction I do not read that quickly. Uh, just fiction. Okay, I no. feel a little better now. Yeah, no. The other, you know, if it's nonfiction, then I, I digest it differently. When I read for enjoyment, uh, it's, it's pretty much in one eyeball, out the other. I'm not looking mm-hmm. to, to keep it. It's just to keep my brain fed in, in, uh, in enjoyment. Mm-hmm. So fan fiction opened up a whole new area for me in, especially with, you know, first with Stargate. That's where I first found it. And for me, I like when they take the characters beyond what the show does. I like it when the characters are no longer in canon where they uh, shed their uniform, so to speak, and become more than what the show could ever make them. Um, but as long as it's flowing from their established characteristics. Right. And I think for the majority of fanfic that I've ever read, they really do. Um, I am a firm, avowed NC-17 reader. So, you know, <laughs> hey, keep it up, people. Um, so Really? You read that stuff? Oh, yeah. Especially the I'll ones, people that, people that can write it well. I mean, there's, there's some out there that is just, you know, they're basically writing wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. That's, mm. you know, you know, I don't need that. But, you know, something that's written well. It seems like there is so much fanfic out there. There's a ton of it. There are there are websites, there are gigantic archives 
devoted mm-hmm. to fan fiction. I'll take this opportunity right here to apologize to our fanfic readers who are GateWorld members. Uh, we have a fan fiction archive, and it had it has about 5,000 stories in it, and then it went offline in 2006, and we have not been able to get it back online. We have a new system that's in the works that is currently being developed, and we hope to have it back up in 2009. But, um, okay. yeah, all that, all that aside, my question for you, Tammy, is with all that fan fiction out there in the universe... What percentage of it do you think is good? What percentage of it uh, do you find that you enjoy? And how do you go and find it? How do you, I mean, is it all based on recommendations? Um, How do you determine what is of quality? The majority of, um, I'd say probably, I'm going to say 50% of it is good. Good, good. I'd say 75% of it is okay. You know, these are not professional writers, but 50% of it is good. I would say probably 5% is incredibly awesome, and those people should be published. That's great. I'm really glad that that the number is so high. Because what I've read some, like I said, I've read some people that are just, I mean, because I read so many good, you know, they're, you know, New York Times bestseller people, and I'm reading their stuff, and it's not even as good as what I'm reading in a fan fiction. Hmm. That is novel length. So they're out there and, you know, it's just, you know, again, it's drive and wanting to do it. And these people have, um, you know, how many people do we have? Um, we've got you know, quite a few novels that have come out of somewhere uh, for Stargate and all that. So we've got some out there and there's quite a bit out there that, um, you know, their fields are, are um, journalism or they have to write in some capacity of their job. So they already have all the mechanics of it. So that carries over. And that's why it's very well done. Um, I can't say that I always enjoy the stories all the time, but I would it's still well done. And I know we've got a few authors out there that um, can really get into the minds of the characters and really make you think and look at, um, like you were saying, like with Jolinar's memories and that type of thing. I've read one with Jack in the Abyss. That was mm-hmm. just incredible. I think fanfic is really great for that sort of internal mm-hmm. dialogue stuff that the show mm-hmm. doesn't explore, partly because of time constraints and partly because of just the facts of the television medium. I mean, you can't really go inside a character's head in a right. television medium. But the way people can find it is, um, first is, you know, of course, people recommend they put their own links in the in various forms. GateWorld has um, not only... The fandom section where we have fan fiction, but um, you know, also in the various you know threads uh, in the character and relationship, you see a lot of links in there, uh, recommendations back and forth. Uh, Fanfic.net has for every television show, and Google. Just type in their names. People have live journals. They have you know that are devoted to this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so once enough- you find an author that you like, uh, author or you know. You know, a lot of times it's um, a show you want to look for. You can you can search by show. You find a forum. Nine times out of ten, there's going to be some kind of link somewhere. Well, to keep it in fine NPR style, our guest today has been Tammy Farrar from GateWorld Forum. Yay! Thank you, Tammy, for stopping by. You're welcome. <laughs> you are listening to the GateWorld Podcast. Thanks once again to Tammy, and thanks to everybody for calling in and for writing in to this week's Open Line Night. Sorry we didn't get to everybody's topic ideas. If we didn't get to your question and and, uh, you really feel like it is a valid one, feel free to save it and resubmit it next time that we do an Open Line Night, because we don't go to the previous Open Line Night's posts. When that Mm -hmm. comes about, save it and repost it. The mods will not heckle you for duplicate posts. Especially when they're several pages apart. So, yes, please do. Because it's not that we looked at it and we said that, oh, that is so dumb. It's that, well, we only have so much time to do this. And this one I read first. Oh, yeah. And last time we did Open Line Night, somebody asked us a question, I think, about Star Trek or something like that. And we actually talked about it for about 10 minutes and had to edit it out of the final podcast. Because we don't want these podcasts going over an hour. Here's this week's listener question for our May 20th show. Next week we're talking about spoilers. Again, not spoiling anything. Don't worry. Don't tune out. We're talking about the concept talking of spoilers. Talking about them, not giving them. Yes, yes. So, question is, do you read spoilers? Do you like spoilers? 
And more importantly, how do you think the existence of internet spoilers has impacted your favorite shows and your enjoyment of them? Have spoilers made watching and enjoying a show more difficult? Television is a very different beast than it used to be. Information management and information control has become the job of entire departments at film and television studios. All because of this little thing we call the interwebs. That'll be a good discussion. I think that, that maybe will be one of our highlights for the summer. We're going to talk about Star Trek afterwards. Oh, yes. Give you all a chance to see it first. Folks asked if we were going to talk about Star Trek, and we knew that open line night usually goes long. So we're going to save our Star Trek movie discussion for next week. After the show, there will be spoilers next week. So make sure you see the movie. After the spoiler show, there will be spoilers on nothing to do with Stargate. That's at the end of our May 20th show on spoilers. And then May 27th, we're coming back and talking about SG-1 Season 4. That'll be cool. I'm liking those. I'm liking those history discussions. I'm really enjoying them. I don't know if it's just the clips that we're playing from the show that livens them up, but uh, it's good. And then our June 4th topic is Just War on Stargate. This was one that came up when we were talking about... What the heck were we talking about? I think we were talking about the Replicators. replicators. Are Replicators Mm -hmm. Alive? Is that when this came up? It may uh, have been, yeah. The 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 genocide concept of a, a what was going on in, with what what I perceived to be a genocide in Be All My Sins Remembered of the Replicator Civilization. So uh, how does Stargate handle the idea of a just war? Again, a little bit esoteric, but we need one of those every once in a while. That's our June 4th show. Mr. David, any parting thoughts this week? Though a candle burns in my house, there is nobody home. It is 10 o'clock here. It is 1 o'clock there. You're tired. I'm tired. Let's all go to bed. Thanks for tuning in this week. In this episode, we had Tammy on to talk about nothing in particular and everything in general. And we gave you a preview of our interview with actor Joe Flanagan. Look for that on the site in just a few days. And for links to everything that we talked about today, look for the episode number 42 show notes over at GateWorld.net. To all of you who have left us feedback over the past episodes, bless you. To all of you who haven't, you suck. No, seriously. Damn love you, dear hell. No. Please come in, come in, talk with us, email us, uh, webmaster at gateworld.net, though preferably communicate with us over on our podcast um, telephone line uh, any hour of the day. You can call 616-712-1647. You can also leave us a message at the podcast feedback thread in Gateworld forum where you can post. We got a lot of great uh, voicemail this week. You guys really turned out, uh, and we appreciate it. I love it. And now I have uh, this past week I have rejiggered the main navigation on GateWorld, and added the podcast to the main navigation on the homepage. But if you click deeper into the website, uh, you'll see a drop-down menu. Uh, it doesn't the drop-down menu doesn't work on the homepage because the video player is right below it. But uh, elsewhere on the site, you can go straight to the feedback thread, straight to the, the RSS feed, show archive, all that stuff is, is available now from the main navigation. Clear as mud? We thought so. This is Darren. This is David. And we'll see you back here next week for another installment of the GateWorld Podcast. Podcast.